Hey everybody, this is part one of a two-part episode, so be sure to stick around and look out for part two for even more great information from today's guest. Welcome to the Action Sports Podcast. This podcast is designed to help you get out and ride more no matter what skill level you are because you share the same passion as we do for the coolest sports on the planet. So stay tuned to learn from the leaders in action sports. Here's your host, Colton Passy. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Action Sports Podcast. Uh, another wonderful night to actually sit down and have a super awesome guest. You know, I always say that. Super awesome. Because I'm always excited. Every time I get on a podcast, I'm super excited. Uh, <laughs> but this, this, this guest is a little, a little different than a few of the other ones I've had. And uh, a, brief, a brief introduction. Um, this guest has been on a variety of sledding films. So he's actually a sledder, but he's been on a variety of sledding films featured in a few magazines and has been on a few podcasts, but some of the films he's been on is like Brop films, 509 Inc, uh, Alpine assassins, Munster films, fresh set of tracks. Some magazines has been a Northwest sledder, sledder mag, mountain sledder magazine. And then he's even been on the podcast with Ross Robinson. Oof. Roscoe, my man. Yeah, 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 <laughs> for sure. So, everybody, I want to introduce Cody McNulty. Cody, thank you for coming on. Oh, hey, I appreciate, appreciate you having me. It's, uh, it's always fun to do these things, man. Yeah. You know, you said that you were on a few other podcasts, and unfortunately, I didn't, uh, I didn't get to listen to those ones before tonight. But we're going to try to make things a little bit more unique, so hopefully we'll, we'll – pop some questions in there or get some stuff out of you that you didn't share in the other podcast, but you are a popular man. I don't know if I've had so many or have a guest that's been on so many different places, you know, in, in appearances. So I, we're going to do our best to get you to open up and maybe share something new tonight. All right, man. Well, my arms are uncrossed. So I'm nice and relaxed for you. <laughs> get your legs uncrossed <laughs> and open and your arms wide open and you're smiling. So we're actually good. You know, the, 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 the viewers or the listeners won't be able to see, uh, I guess, but I'm wearing a ball cap and I, I have a, a, an older career, um, public speaking. We, we can maybe leave, maybe we'll even crack that open later. But, you know, I, I always used to say when I spoke in front of auditoriums, if they were full, you know, typically men who had hats on and their arms crossed were, were always the ones that I knew by the end of my presentation would, would be, they were the softies, right? So I'm trying yeah. to uncross my arms here, but I am wearing a ball cap, but I assure you it's only because I'm having a bad hair day. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> nobody's going to see it, right? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal, man. Well, like most of my podcasts, I like to start off with uh, getting to know your background, your history, where you grew up and how you got introduced to the industry. So we'll get, turn it over to you and kind of give you some a, a introduction to your your life. No, for sure. And it's, we can sum it up pretty quick because it's super unorthodox to what, you know, you typically expect out of, you know, really no snowcross background at all. I've still never even really rode a race that other than maybe for like 15 seconds, uh, riding somebody else's across a parking lot or around in a donut in a field. Um, 
didn't grow up racing motocross. I actually grew up in rural northern British Columbia, so like a couple hours northwest of of a city center called Prince George, which really is a small city in the interior of BC. And then uh, I grew up on a farm, so you know, a couple hours out of Prince George, and then another, you know, ten miles out of Gravel Road, we had a, a country farm, a few hundred acres, and. And my dad was uh, an entrepreneur and a cowboy. So we yeah. always had horses. And that was kind of, even growing up in high or elementary school, you know, it was school sports and the farm. And that was, that was pretty much life. My father actually wasn't even a fan of two strokes. He, uh, he liked four strokes. We had old school three wheelers and, and things like this, but uh, two stroke dirt bikes, no way, man. He tell um, you why? You know what? I think he just, I think he was either wanted to have one himself or maybe he, he just didn't like dirt bikes. I, I honestly am not sure, but it was pretty funny because when I was around five or six years old in the winter time in the interior, it's bloody cold, right? Like mm-hmm. minus 40 degrees Celsius, really, really cold, way too cold to be horseback riding. That's for sure. And when I was five or six, he brought home this 1980 Enticer 340 Yamaha blue. Nice. I remember it. And uh, we were all shocked, not because he brought a snowmobile home. We were shocked because he brought a two-stroke engine home. <laughs> and it wasn't a chainsaw or a piece of logging <laughs> equipment, right? We we're like, what's going on here? <laughs> but uh, we all fell in love with that snowmobile. My dad, myself, my brother, we rode that thing around as much as you possibly could. We quite literally wore the metal skis right off the snowmobile within a couple of years. And, and it kind of blossomed from there in, in the middle of the 90s when the big four were still like head hunting, competing every year. You didn't know mm-hmm. who was going to get sled of the year. It could have went four ways. Yeah. My dad got a 98 V max. And by this time I graduated from the ovation and I bought, I had bought myself 50% purchased it myself and 50% help from dad was a 95 V max 600. Mm. And my only experience with the mountains was like two or three times a year tops in the spring going out to ranges called the Cibolas and uh, a few other northern, almost north uh, coast mountain zones. And by 2001, I had, um, I had, I had really just kind of, I was still a teenager. I was graduated high school. I really didn't know much about Mount Snowmobiling, except I absolutely loved jumping off cornices and thought I was going huge. I mean, I'm sure back then it, it was huge to me, but not in reality. Um, and then in 2001, my family kind of suffered a tragic accident and, and the, the short and sweet of that is we sold our farm in 2002 and I didn't even look at a snowmobile for 10 years from basically 2001. So from the age of 18 to 27, I cold Turkey did not ride snowmobiles straight up. Didn't own one, didn't look at one, didn't think about it. Um, Ironically, I also grew up throughout those years not riding, having zero participation on social media. No Facebook account. No um, MySpace. No MySpace. No nothing. I uh, My first cell phone wasn't even until I was 24 in the early 2000s. And it was purchased uh, by my mother and brother for a gift because they were sick of me being a bit of a gypsy and never knowing where I was. Um, so you fa- fast forward to to you know 27 28 years old almost a decade away from snowmobiles i found myself living on the south coast 
in Vancouver, near the coastal range, near historic and famous Whistler and Pemberton backcountry. And I started to slowly get this crave. Every winter, I'd look at the snow line on the North Shore Mountains. And I finally kind of on a whim went out and, and bought a snowmobile. And I mean, I'm talking, I was so rookie when I got back into riding, I didn't even understand what I call modern side hilling was. Like when I stopped riding in 2001, nobody rode go- goofy foot on a side hill. Mm. Everyone was like knee on the seat trying to balance and like the Roops of Hazard movies and the early Slednecks were just out and like everyone was just figuring it out. That's when I left sledding as a kid, yep. as, a, as a teenager. So I, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I started riding mountains now at 28 years old. I bought a, a secondhand Ski-Doo Rev and I did like nine months research because I had a very strict budget. And 2012 was my second season back riding. And I that was the first year I ever bought a new snowmobile. I snow checked it from uh, our local dealer here in Squamish at the time. And still no Facebook, no, didn't know what Instagram even was at the time and rode the 12 season and the 13th, so sorry, 12, 13 season. And, uh, it wasn't until 2014 that I started, you know, seeing sled next groups out sledding and seeing all the kind of who's who, or what was, what was the, or at the time was the who, who, as far as the industry went still completely clueless to the industry, other than I loved sled necks. Um, and it was my friend, Andrew Munster. We started riding together and we started realizing that like hundred foot airs, you know, hitting jumps at hundred feet distance was really like just pretty normal for him and I, and, and starting to push each other. And, and, uh, we sat on the side of a snowbank on Sprott mountain. I can't remember the day I'd have to go through my journal. And we argued, discussed, and had extended dialogue around Andrew starting his company, Monster Canada, and the creation of the finger throttle, and this idea, and this, this big manifestation he had. And, and I talked about, you know, how this, this dream of, you know, because when I stopped riding as a kid, it was like roops of hazards and sled necks. I thought these videos, these, what people were starting to do on snowmobiles in the big air scene in the mountains was like, that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about, is there a profession there? Is there an industry there? Is there a potential revenue or career path there? I just thought it was like, that's what I want to do, period. So it was interesting, you know, many, many years later, this conversation in 2014, Andrew's like, you got to get social media. Like, you got to get Facebook and you got to get Instagram. I'm like, what's Instagram? You know, like, I don't want this stuff. How does this work? And and Andrew actually helped me create a Facebook page and which I still don't have a personal page on Facebook. It's just like this rider page. I don't know if it's a business page or what I, without him, I could have never figured it out. And, and that was kind of that 2014 season I was posting photos and you start getting followers and, and, and start getting featured. And, and it was kind of like, my first indication that people who were interested in sledding and were taking notice that, Oh, this, this guy's, you know, uh, adventurous or, or kind of extreme, I guess would be the word. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. And it kind of ties me into a question that you said before we got on the air 
where you're asking your, you know, your thought, Hey, you've got this McNulty 318 is a 318, a, a race number alias. And it's, uh, I don't know if you've seen me post about it, but I, I kept my very first pickup. It's this old black Dodge. I've actually yep. had it for over a couple of decades now. Right. And it's got a 318 cubic inch small block. Oh. And I'm obsessed with this truck. It's an extended part of my family. It's very sentimental. And I was doing a hair scramble race sometime in between those years of not snowmobiling on a dirt bike. And uh, the the folks at the start are like, you need a number. And I'm like, uh, 318. <laughs> <laughs> and when I first up. joined social media, I, I refused to put Cody McNulty on there. And that was an argument Andrew and I had. So he's like, well, how about McNulty? And we came up with McNulty 318. And it took me years to actually put my first name Cody on there. So it was a, it's a very non-Orthodox way into it. But it just really started to take traction kind of on its own. Right. Yeah. So if you scroll through your Instagram account, you can actually see that from the very beginning where like, I'll be honest, it was very natural though. Like what you're posting that you were doing, it was very natural to the point of, it seemed like you've been writing for a good amount of time and you just found social media. You know, like, it's, it's, that's funny. How it it's funny. It's it's interesting you say that. So my brother is extremely talented um, with anything academic wise, um, a fantastic writer, you know, a, a brilliant, a brilliant mind. And I was certainly not that in school. You know, I had to work really hard for, you know, a B or a C in English and essay writing. Um, but I, ha I have a very, very a deep background in public speaking um, even all the way through elementary school, high school, I always had lead roles in drama and acting classes and participated in a lot of uh, social platforms, not on media, actual right. standing in front of people and debating and, di and, and having dialogue. And so going back to getting a Facebook page and getting an Instagram account, it's, I, you know, I, I literally went on Google and was like, how do you, how does Instagram work? Right. Like, mm -hmm. how do you, how does this work? What's you know, posting stuff and hashtagging. And, and I realized all of the things that Google was telling me to succeed online. I, I was lucky to be a bit older. I was also lucky to have a very good sense of, of how I, how I wanted to structure, how I wanted to structure it, to be perfectly honest. And I just decided more than anything was to try and be what I call rider authentic. I didn't call it that at the time, but it's called rider authentic. So I decided I didn't want to use wide angle lenses. I didn't want to post a lot of content, what I would refer to as, as uh, trick photography, right? Where epic sequence shot, but like by no means of even the stretch of imagination was it an actual landing or a ride out. So I just wanted to try and talk about the things I was doing as the way I would, if it was just my friends, I was sharing the photo with try to make it very rider authentic. And, and that did take a lot of traction. I, I, I've, I found that in some cases the the folks that have been following my pages, they, they enjoy the caption in some cases, as much as the content, not always, but it, it has always flown very naturally. Now, if I had to be posting about non-sledding subjects I, I imagine I'd, I'd be very un, unpopular and, and full of grammatical errors that people would point out and, and somewhat not interesting but I, I do find snowmobiling always has been a great passion as much as it is a bit bizarre sometimes that 
all sports at the top, or if you if you can acquire a high skill set, do involve a relationship with the industry of that sport. Um, but I've really always kind of viewed myself differently. I, I, I'm, I enjoy snowmobiling as much as a beginner and intermediate, a mom and pop, uh, an average Joe, anyone uh, there's there, we're experiencing the enjoyment of being on that snowmobile in, in the, in true exact, exact same ways. Yeah, I love that. That's, um, I'm very captivated on your unorthodox way of coming into social media and how you're looking at or your perspective to not focusing on your growth, but you're focusing on sharing, you know, doing exactly what social media was actually for, what it was designed for originally. Like it overtakes individuals so much that it consumes them. And that's all they focus on, all they think about. And then they start comparing themselves and they start struggling and they get depressed and like these crazy, crazy things that it was not designed for originally. And you, you kind of took it a completely different way, which was pretty cool. Yeah. And it's, I, I think if you don't mind, if I hone on that, like, no, for sure. All consuming component of social media. So it's, um, I, I struggle with social media. So like ar- arguably, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm good at, taking a video or photo of myself that's been captured and on a whim, putting it online and, and spouting off uh, a caption and, and letting it do its thing. Um, but not having it as a kid or a teenager, or even in my early twenties, not really getting to experience normal adaptation of social media. I, I fully feel I fell victim to that consumed part of, of social media. And it's, it's quite interesting because I, in my personal life, you know, I, I argue with the closest people in my life all the time about social <laughs> media. And, and um, even at the stage of my career, if you want to call it that of snowmobiling, I I'm, I'm actually looking for like a bit of an exit strategy to social media because life really doesn't happen online. Life happens in the world. And um, you know, it's, it's all entertainment segues, but we do, as an individual, every person who has a social media platform, whether it truly is simply whatever they want to do, or they're following a business profile, it, it, it's a snapshot. It's television, right? It's entertainment. It's on TV. And, and unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, realism has no relationship to it, right? It's and not that that what we're doing isn't real and that we're capturing isn't real and the way we feel about it isn't real, but it's it's another parallel of real life. So I, I've recently actually kind of reinvented my own platform and, and just kind of taking it. What my Instagram is is strictly to make it more around what I'm doing as a rider. And, and I I've, I've kind of looked, stepped back from a big following and, and trying to mitigate my time scrolling on there and, and really focusing on what's important to me outside of social media in real life. And and making sure that I'm meeting the demands of my customers, if you want to look at it that way, which is your audience and the companies that you're working with in, in any sort of professional capacity. So mm-hmm. it's uh it, it's it's a it's a big machine, social media. It's it's there's some pros and cons. I mean, pros right off the top of my tongue. If you said, Cody, what's one of the coolest things that's ever happened to you 
um, through social media in, involved with snowmobiling. Well, hands down, it's a fresh set of tracks. Without Instagram, I would have never met Simon. Without meeting Simon, we would have never spiraled conversations and passions, and we just simply wouldn't have put an arsenal together uh, that was Duncan, myself, Ricard, and and Yoki, and we wouldn't have traveled Sweden and Russia and Canada and created a documentary film. Like that was an amazing part of it. You know, if you're asked me, what are some of the tough things about it? Well, you just you you nailed it there, right? You 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 lose that sense of all-consuming time and remembering that priorities need to be not digital, right? Priorities mm-hmm. still need to be real world authentic. And, and, and I should take my own advice. Like this isn't something I have 100% excelled at, but it, it is something I think is important to be said. You know, and that was my next question for you was like, how much is social media actually consumed you as somebody that's contributing to social media? You have a great following. And um, like, if you go through it, you have a fairly decent amount of engagement too. And so how much has it actually, how much do you actually go through and scroll and, and spend a lot and spend your time looking at other people's. Well, in the last year I went from uh, personally following like a thousand accounts uh, currently down to 26. Holy cow. Yeah. So it's uh, and, and like, man, crazy experiment, crazy social experiment. So a lot of people took it personal. Right. And, I didn't do it in any sort of personal way. It strictly was to get me down. Something I've been talking about for a couple of years, those 26 accounts are magazines I've been published in or believe in uh, as paper print is, 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 is dying away. And we're down to so few magazines and I, I want to see them excel and, and stay per, uh, relevant, you know, in, into affinity. And they're the accounts of the companies I work with either in a sponsorship and endorsement or, or a discount level. So um, that just for me was a way to maintain my obligations to my customers, mm-hmm. audience, and companies I work with, and be a way to me to personally take a bit back control and go, okay, Cody, well, you can go on Instagram. You're not scrolling because you don't follow anyone. And, and honestly, it worked. And as the time has gone on, I find myself off the app more and more and more and strictly just getting on there and posting my content and and doing my thing and then, and then move, moving on to, uh, to, to my productive day. Okay. That's cool. That's interesting. I've actually done the same thing where I've like, I was looking at it and I'm like, why am I following these people? Yeah. And it's not personal. Right. And, and, and again, if you Google how to excel in Instagram, like it's not great to do that. It's, it's good to follow other people and interact, right. but I, at what point does, again, back to kind of my code when I started this, like, like rider authenticity, like right. I want to be, I want to be, I, I do what I love and I do it at the level I do strictly for me. And, and that's something that is a natural positive, I don't know, feature or, or quality in myself that they, because I'm not competing in, in a race or, or a televised event, I don't need to be looking at what other athletes in my discipline are doing. I don't need to be focusing on anything else in a counterproductive way other than my passion for the mountain. And I get my energy off the people I'm actually with uh, out there. You know, when I'm, when I'm doing extreme stuff, yeah, there's a core group of people that I accelerate around um, Andrew Munster, Brett Turcott, Cody Matichuk. These, these are people that I gravitate to and accelerate my optimization when I'm out with them. 
but having said that, when they're not around, I, I'm still, that's my natural, I don't ever go out in the mountain looking to do something extreme. And I certainly never, ever really thought of what I do in a, in my discipline of riders around the world as a, an elite top athlete, if you want to say it that way, I, I feel that if no one else in the world was doing this and all of the cameras still weren't there, there truly isn't one single feature that I wouldn't have um, looked at the same way, made the same conclusion and, and completed and uncompleted those features. You know, a, a, a kind of sidebar is, you know, Chris Brown, you know, not someone like that I know personally super well, but, a, you know, I have a ton of respect for all these OGs and he is up there in, in the top of the list of, of people that have truly done world-class features first of their kind, right? True OGs. I mean, I remember I, when I jumped the Treadway cliff, you know, there's only myself and one other gentleman in the world that have ever attempted it. I didn't, I didn't ride it out. I landed, had a terrible double bounce, didn't ride it. And it kind of went through the local community and it's, it's, it's a serious cliff, you know, it's, it's a life ender if it's done wrong. There's a reason why only Treadway's done it ahead of me. And Chris Brown sent me a text. Did you really jump the Treadway cliff without a camera crew? I'm like, yep. He's just like, wow, right on. You know, it's like, cause he gets it. Like they were, they were, they were doing that stuff for the glory, not the fame. Right. And, and that's where bragging rights. Yeah. It's just like, it's more glory than bragging. It's, it's truly like they were out there. Those OGs were out there doing that. That's what they wanted to be doing. Right. Right. And what I mean and, by, uh, sorry, to clarify, like what I meant by that is like inside uh, sledding communities, like when you have a group of dudes that are really strong and what they like strongly passionate and they don't want to be on camera. I mean, um, gosh, who's that? Sorry, I just forgot his name. Um, anyways, like when you, when you do something so crazy, like, you and one other person has like you, there's, there's some bragging rights to it where you go to your buddy and be like, yeah, let's see you do that. You know, it's not something that you're trying to show to the world, but it's saying it's kind of like a prideful fun that you're having with your friends. Yeah. That, um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, right? You are right. There is that like, you know, Andrew and I did a, our super big step down earlier this year in February. And, and uh, Andrew, who was like the modest guy on planet earth, right? Like second to none in modesty and an absolute savage, probably the most underrated snowboarder on the entire planet. In my opinion, like top, top caliber rider. We did this big step down. He went first, you know, it's in the realm of, it's just big. It's a monster. And he did it. And then I did it. And, and uh, we, our landings were very close in distance and, you know, and for sure you're right. Like there is a, comedic a, a comical moment where Andrew yeah. looked at our filmer pascal and was like did i go did i go did i go bigger you know and pascal's like yeah you yeah. went about five feet bigger you yeah, know, yeah, all yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah see you and cody so, matichuk do that, that that's yeah, what's do. really fun about watching you two ride <laughs> is because like and like you touched on that a little bit like when you start riding with people that are your level of riding or higher like you start to try to push yourself more and more and more and you know this through uh personal development like you understand it as personal development, you know, speaking and stuff like that, as you try to increase your abilities. And so when you start writing with people like Cody, Cody's a freaking animal, what, what he likes to do. 
and you push yourself more and more and more and then you have code and then you come back and it's like, Hey, how would you think of that? And Cody will just make fun of you and say, Oh dude, that was terrible. I could do that on my bike any day, all day long. You, you know, stuff like oh, that. Good. It's just, there's the camaraderie that you're getting with your friends. And so they're, in my opinion, it's like, that's where that bragging rights comes in. So to yeah. drop such a, 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 uh, difficult or go through a difficult challenge, push yourself. You do get those bragging rights that you do get a share with inside your group. Who cares if there's film? You know, it's funny too. Like you get a little bit older and, and you start realizing how much safety matters to you. Not that it, mm. it never didn't. I mean, there, there's, there's huckers and chuckers out there and then, and then there's collective oh minds. Right. And like Andrew Turcott, Matichuk, myself, again, all share that like, typically when we do something, we've, we've, we've put it, we've already done it in our minds and we've already ruled out right from the worst case scenario, worst case scenario for us being having a relationship with death. Right. And working it backwards from that relationship with death to our existing world in our alive life and wanting to maintain that level of being alive. And, and there's a lot of calculated risk that goes involved to what we're doing. And I've noticed as I've gotten older, I've tried to curtail my captions. And unless you're out in the back country, unless you're there and you watch what the sound of a snowmobile does when it leaves the ground, the delayed echo, uh, the the wide surface area of two skis and a belly pan coming down on the snow when you're watching some jump in the 150 to 200 foot range or a crazy backflip trick if it's Brett or a crazy upside down whip 40 feet off the deck if you're Andrew or Matichuk stuff or my stuff and unless and, and many other people doing all this epic stuff unless you're there if it goes really well you watch a video it looks seemingly easy to do. Mm-hmm. And what I've realized is that snowmobiling really isn't an extreme sport. I, I bet you it's like significantly less than 1% of an already fairly small sport compared to other motorsports in the world are doing this extreme stuff. The majority of snowmobiler is, is, is rider is a community-based, let's go out and experience fun, friends, um, good food, a cabin, and, and great snow and beautiful views, right? So I've been really trying to share with folks who are direct messaging me on, Hey, I'd like to get more into the jumping or the cliff dropping or the, or the upside down stuff and really try to not curtail their want or desire progression, but to really emphasize that it's dangerous and that it takes a lot of time, effort and risk management to be able to produce results that you can go, uh, can go onward in time. I mean, I'll be turning 38 here in just a couple of weeks and, you know, not really doing anything in the industry until I was already 30. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I continue to have progression, skill set, progression on my snowmobile. A large part of that this year was the fact that the, the turbo came into the picture with the Ski-Doo. I mean, that just allowed me to use horsepower to my skill set and create some fantastic results. Um, but I, there is still continual progression. And I got I do wonder like when, 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 when is the light going to dim? Like age catches everyone, but what I've always kind of said and and never really captured anywhere. And I'll say it here is to, to me, longevity was always more important than progression. So from what I've experienced in time, in all aspects of life is if you let time accumulate, Hmm. you develop. 
whether it's skill set, whether it's attitude, whether it's wisdom, if you let time accumulate, you progress. So I don't actually need to focus on progression. I need to focus on longevity. Right. The longer I can do this with an able body, an able mind, I'm going to progress, right? And 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 really kind of taking that as my mantra or my belief system, it's I think it's been the absolute number one uh number one key or or front runner to being able to be here at my age and, and doing what I'm doing and, and enjoying the process. Right. Dude, there's a lot right there that you just said that we could unpack. It's going to, it would take a long, it would take a very good amount of time to unpack we'll, we'll that. We'll call this part one. Part one, <laughs> eh? Yeah. Because <laughs> just breaking down the, the longevity and um, touching on social media, which you talked about a minute ago, like, People that are like, why am I not famous right now when they've been trying for like three weeks? Yeah, it's, you know, and, and, and stuff here's like that. the it's, thing, right? I'm not famous game. either. And like, and I grew up in a small town and this is a really cool thing. So in a small town, it's really easy to be. And the saying goes the big fish in a pond, right? Right. And, and I experienced that. I experienced being from a very small town with some natural athletic ability and, and uh, some fairly good genetics. And sure, I, I, I excelled in some of the things I did. I was competing against five other kids in some cases. Like I grew up in a small town mm-hmm. and I w- was on that bigger size fish in a pond. And then you step in, you know, living in one of the bigger cities in Vancouver and realizing that like, you're, 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 you're actually not a big fish in a pond. You we're all just minnows and oceans. Right. And, and there's no such thing as being famous. If you really want to break it down, it's all, it's all related to, something that's created right it's hype it's a creation um fame and realism have no connection right and and i experience it when you go to like trade shows and and you have an isolate your isolated fan base comes out people that love your sport as much as you and and you sign posters and you give autographs and it's and a really wonderful experience i remember being that kid wanting those autographs or wanting a poster. And, and I still am, I'm still a fan of lots of sports and, and it's really cool, but fame and realism have no connection. And then I always enjoy conversating at trade shows with quotation, regular people and the regular people get to kind of go, Oh, Hey, you're just a regular person too, you know? And it's, it's no different all the way up the fame scale, right. To like your main stage sports or, or, or high end uh, actors realism and fame have no true correlation. We're all just regular people. Right. Yeah. I know we, we definitely put people on pedestals. I'm definitely guilty of that. Um, like for one, one person that I have on a pedestal is Jeff Kyle. Cool. Well, he's one guy I've always wanted to meet and go ride with. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing. Um, Jeff's that, I mean, Slednex created a slogan that said, you know, that's, I can't remember it exactly, but, the spark that started it all right and and they were you know uh the roots of hazard films the the cold, two stroke cold smoke series the yeah. sled neck series these guys right like your bj murray's your jeff kyle's your chris brown's your rob alfred's it goes on and on and on and on and on especially if you move across alaska and include all those guys and those ogs i mean they 100 percent for those years i wasn't sledding Man, when I got back into it, I must have binged on all those old films for like two or three years straight. And like my passion tank was like, 
infinite, like for life expanded. And, and I mean, Jeff Kyle, I have, you know, the, the, I'd call it the luxury of like, you know, I, I, Jeff's not just an acquaintance. Like I can call Jeff up on the phone and, and uh, we can enjoy a, a whiskey together if the time allows it. And, and, and to get up on the mountain with, with Jeff after all these guys, all these locals that are still here doing it, mm-hmm. they still love sledding as much as they ever did. And man, that is so cool to see, you know, and like Jeff Kyle's energy on the mountain is like, it's, it's pretty hard to beat. He's a fun guy to be with, knows mm-hmm. the mountains well is always up for a high five in the stoke. And uh, yeah, if you get a chance to go ride with them, he's running a pretty cool mountain moto adventure there. So it's oh, is he? worth checking out. Good to know. Yeah. I know it's fun to see, actually see a bunch of those guys that were part of these films are now transitioning into a business that they can pass on that information and that wisdom that they've gathered up. So it's, and, it's pretty cool. Like it's, it's, it's so rad. So yeah. Cody Matichuk, right kids a decade younger than me he's actually 11 years younger than me it mm-hmm. pisses me off to admit that right but it's a fact <laughs> so you know he and he's not from the west coast loves coming out here and riding and i'm not i'm an older person but i'm not the og in this area i wasn't doing it first right i'm right i, I use the hashtag keeping the big air dream alive because that's that's really what i'm doing like the the progression and expansion of what's possible in a snowmobile has been defined for a long time and so this big Dakin step down. It's actually what we refer to as the Rich Carlson step down. Rich Carlson's like old groups of hazards, true uh, Whistler OG, you know, breaking borders on sleds. The true first of the of that kind out here on the on the coastal range. And uh, Matichuk and I, you know, Matichuk got to be the first snowbike to do the Rich Carlson step down. Uh, later that night we're texting some stuff, putting some stories up. Rich Carlson, who, who I've only met once dirt biking sees that we are doing it. gets all excited. Line well, him out sledding. He comes with us the next day. And so here, here, here you are riding with myself, you know, closing out my thirties, Matichuk, you know, little buggers in his prime and, and Rich Carlson's out there, you know, a guy was doing, doing that same jump over 20 years ago on those chassis you're talking about no suspension trailing arms like no real map or compass or experience waiting to go how do these jumps work you know like just going out there and and breaking boundaries and mm-hmm. doing it on equipment that you and i wouldn't even feel comfortable hopping off the sidewalk on. Not anymore. it's uh yeah. it's it was pretty remarkable to have rich carlson out with us just recently here in april it was uh for me, it was kind of a nostalgic piece of history, rich myself, Matichuk, and just it's a it's a lot of West Coast big mountain experience right there through like decades, you know. Well, that wraps up today's episode. If you enjoyed it, then let us know by subscribing and leaving us a review. We actually pick a winner each month and give away some awesome prizes just to show our appreciation. Oh, and don't forget. Go visit the actionsportspodcast.com to grab yourself a copy of the Action Sports Guide, where you'll learn more about how to land sponsorships, get paid, and turn your passion of riding into a career without having to be a professional athlete. Again, that's the actionsportspodcast.com. <laughs>